0: Hey, helpers, and welcome to Being the Work. I'm Ben Wire, and alongside me is my really good friend, Blakely Adams. As a professional counselor and a social worker, although the work is incredibly meaningful, oftentimes it's exhausting and very hard. We hope to bring a little less isolation to the professional helpers out there, that you can remember what it's like to feel a vital sense of energy and hope. As helpers, we do amazing work. The world needs us to be well, and we are our best resource for finding community among people who know what it's like to live life as a helper. We are extremely excited to share our stories and our process with you, but we also would love to hear from you about your experiences. Reach out to us. We're on Instagram, at beingthework. You can also email us beingthework at gmail.com. This episode was one of the first episodes that we recorded. And unfortunately, we had to use our backup recording. So you'll hear some background noises that we wish weren't there. But the quality of the conversation was valuable enough that we wanted you to still hear it. We want you to know that we are honored to be here with you. So join us in doing and being the work.
1: So today we decided to talk about one of those basic sacred tenets of what we do, and that is secret keeping. I think that we not only absorb and contain secrets for so, so many people, for so many different reasons, like we foster that incredible sense of trust that people just blab stuff to us. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's kind of part of the deal. And I think it's one of the it's one of the things that everyone knows about us. Even if I think that media gets the the image of the therapist <laughs> or the role of the therapist <laughs> all fucked up. One sure. thing they get right is people tell us all kinds of shit and we hold it and don't take it anywhere else. Yeah. But I think that there are also secrets that flow. Like we have to hold confidentiality against the client too. Like there's there are secrets in the sense of our self-disclosure that we have limits with what we let out of us too. And so how do we exchange that information? Interesting. Say more about that. About about the secrets that we also hold kind of against, not against yeah. clients, but we hold it in the face of clients.
0: Well, it's it's almost seemed like the way I understood what you said was almost like a reciprocal uh, nature of our relationship with them.
1: No, I think I mean the, honestly, I think I mean the exact opposite. Okay. Sure. Um, Yeah. We are, we're fostering a relationship with them in order to get them to open up more and more of that to Mm -hmm. us. And I think the valve that we let out in exchange is a lot less. Like we have to show them some of us. And I, for example, like I have to decide with each client if, and when I disclose my sexual orientation. Yeah. And if that seems helpful to them so that there's that personal connection, then I will. Um, sometimes I choose not to right. So I think that secrets in the room and the secrets, the way that that energy lives in us outside of the room, is just incredibly impactful. And mm-hmm. so, I think it's a really cool place for us to touch base and consider what the the impact of those are on us as therapists, as people, um, how we handle that particular flow. right. so then you you had some ideas about some of those secrets. Um, that you wanted to share some stories about,
0: right? Yeah. And it actually just happened, you know, last, this last week, um, a client was telling me about their experience over the week. Uh, You know, it was just a kind of general opener of how's your week? week? How you been? (laughs) Um, You know, and so he's like, not so good, you know, and all this. And um. He proceeds to kind of tell me about a story about his his new puppy. And um we've bonded over puppies before because I have my own two and they are uh, you know, my children. I love them. So deeply dog dad. Yes. Um, which is a bigger experience for me, right? It's it's a much more complex uh kind of relationship that I have with my dogs because you know, I can't have children. And so they are my children. So anyway, when he's, well, you
1: have a, I mean, it it doesn't hurt to pause there and just acknowledge like you have a very nurturing personality and, and for you to have a close intimate relationship with them where their communication isn't in words is powerful to you.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. Yes. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) God dang. Yes. That is so true. That
1: is
0: yeah. so true. Well, it's okay that, to acknowledge. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's powerful. Hmm. Okay. Um, He's telling me the story about how kind of just like he, dogs are playing out in the backyard. They're having a good time. The weather's really nice. He's planning on really wanting to have just a a peaceful week. And as I'm listening, I'm putting myself in that position of what's it like to have a new puppy and to be excited and worried all at the same time. And so he kind of talks about this incident where the dog jumps up and then lands and they hear a crack and a scream and Mm. from the dog. And, um, you know, they instantly know something's wrong and everyone's panicking and the dog is crying and screaming out. And as I'm listening to the story, you know when i when i i'm I'm very much i I lead with relationship, but also, as you know me, i'm I'm very much f- uh, philosophical in my thinking and lead also with these experiences of I listen for the lived experience of my client and therefore then try to kind of explicate meaning from that. And in a lot of times in that I'm I'm going like, okay, put yourself in this situation. What would it be like to be there by the pool, to feel the sun on your skin, to hear the birds chirping, to see the dogs playing, and then, you know, I'm not expecting, uh, something like, then I hear a crack, then I hear a scream. Mm -hmm. And so while he's, you know, I'm, I'm kind of picturing this all in my mind. Yeah. And immediately at that point, I feel the gut wrench of, you know, what it would be like to be him in that situation. While also for me, I'm, I'm trying to regulate that at the same time of this isn't you know, your story. This isn't your experience. Um, be there for him, be present. So it's like already this kind of tension inside of me, which is very familiar to me, right? I mean, I've mm-hmm. been doing this for about a decade. Like this so all of this is like, you know, we kind of goes through the whole story of like how he got the dog to a vet and the ER room and uh, you know, being in the ER and and the surgery and all of this and you know, having to pay for the surgery and I know very clearly there's not dog insurance that does, you know, that's like super good. You know, it's like our insurance as humans, isn't great, but, uh, insurance for, for dogs is, I think it's getting better, but it's not really good. Um, and so anyway, all this stuff is swirling around my head and this is right. Kind of, this is like last session, right before the end of the day, we, you know, we wrap up, we're in a really good place with the client, all this. It was really good, really great conversation. Later on though, like it's stuck in my mind. I see my boys right after, um, after work, I hug them, play with them for a little bit, all this. So then it comes, this is where like the secret keeping is, is part of like, this is the crux of the point of this conversation is I've had this whole experience, which is a very full body experience of of listening to this story and you know I'm asking my wife about how's your day and what did you do what's going on you know she talks about some drama that's between her and another program or her and another colleague the conflicts that they're trying to work out for projects all normal everyday kind of stuff right and then she asks me how's your day and Uh, what's on my mind is fear about what if this happened to one of my boys and do we have the savings set back to pay for a surgery? Because we would go into a lot of debt for them because that's just our devotion. (laughs) And, but it's so random, right? I mean, it's not, not like I can, it's not like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know i'm I'm like well recount the day well i had sessions and we talked about stuff and blah 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 (laughs) like that's not what's on my mind what's on my mind is like i'm actually scared for my dogs and
1: well because i think that how was your day question in our lives is just heavy anyway it's such a loaded question and we're very limited in how we can even answer it
0: right which is the first layer of secret yeah right which is like you said at the very beginning (laughs) i mean it's this sacred kind of space that we keep Um, confidentiality and privacy are a bedrock of creating a safe place for people to come and to unload and Sometimes that load feels very light because it's meant, I mean, it's like has so much meaning and purpose while other times it feels very heavy and very, I mean, I think it's like, it's like
1: armor, right? I mean, and
0: that's the mm -hmm. purpose that it,
1: that it serves in a lot of ways that it's so protective and so insulating and it's so incredibly heavy. Like Mm -hmm. if it's, if it has the power that it's supposed to have, it carries
0: a lot of weight. Right. Yeah. And and so it's it's sort of like this this phenomenon of of secret keeping for me is like I, you know, eventually tell her what the day was like, but it was very mm-hmm. much in a way of just recounting the facts, right? And so in a way it's not this sense of what I sort of expect there to kind of be a sort of a, an emotional unloading from the burdens of the day, when you have these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, it's sort of like these conversations sort of shed the lining of, of the day and you get to kind of, kind of move from work to home, right? Yeah. But Absolutely. for me, it's never really been that since I've been in, in, in this field.
1: Well, and I I assume even more so as your work environment has become more, um, isolated too. Mm -hmm. Like even the things that I can talk about, I can't talk about my coworkers. I can't talk about my other projects. I can't talk about, you know, some of those day-to-days of being part of a bigger agency. Now that we're working in more private Mm -hmm. settings, there's just even less, less content. We can speak out loud. Right. Right. And, I don't know that it always matters what the content of that is because of that feeling that you're talking about right. of I am unloading that there mm-hmm. and shifting myself to, to here, home.
0: Yeah. I think it's the, the congruence between what you're saying and how it, how it's received and and how you are able to unload uh, it. Right. True. Sure. And so me knowing I, I have to make that decision at the dinner table of how much do I give to show, you know, I am wanting to answer your question while also I don't want to burden you with the content of like, you know, we've all kind of come up with ways to safely talk around the things that we do in in session without, you know, harming privacy and confidentiality. While also there's just things that, we can't do in that form without burdening the people we love, you know, in our in our lives. And so, sure. I made the choice there at that point to like, you know, recount the day, and I'm left with this feeling of, yeah, I didn't get to share that part that was actually concerning to me. And so it was very, it's it felt very letting, uh, uh, um, it felt very unfulfilling. Yeah. Right. And so part of that's one version of this secret keeping is that I'm left with the secrets. I'm left mm-hmm. with the burden of what it did, of what the content is, while also because even if I were to share just the content, I know that would that would make my wife, you know, it would be difficult for my wife to hear. Mm-hmm. While also if I shared my emotional content of how it affected me, it also pulls us into, you know, I love the the way that you characterize, you know, being deep in the tunnels of human existence. Like it would pull her into deep into a tunnel of my existence and my experience where that's not necessarily, number one, it's not necessarily where she wants to live right. or wants is interested in being, while also it would, it would burden her to, to do so. And so that's a place of like keeping the secret, um, that it's not just yeah, the content, it's, it's also the experience of mine.
1: Well, and it's, I think that those secrets just hold... Uh, they hold a lot of energy and there's something about bringing people into that tunnel that they didn't they don't want to go there they didn't choose to go there Mm -hmm. they don't consent to go there just Mm -hmm. because they walk beside us in life right and so my friends my family don't have to go in those tunnels but how do i recover from -hmm. what it takes for me to go there and i don't know because i I just think about the energy of, of that information and these things kind of living inside us and how they strike us. And it's difficult, it's difficult to put into words an experience that you're not supposed to talk about. Right. Right. (laughs) Like you're, it's exactly what kind of not supposed to do. Yeah. But it's also part of the deal. And I think you're talking Mm -hmm. about, I think you're talking about something super impactful because it makes me think about like after i had kids which i'm not the i'm not the gestational parent of my children but there it seems like there was a theme of of clients with postpartum depression after mm. like when i had really really little babies yeah and so where some of that flows cuz i'm exhausted with a newborn mm. and it's at the top of my mind anyway and keeping them alive is my number one job and then i'm also right. going to work at my number one job because i got a total of you know 3 weeks off
0: <laughs> right
1: and, yeah, just the way that, that our personal experience and the timing of things, I think, is impactful and incredible. And so that's mm-hmm. what I wonder about, is do you think some of that changes with timing? Because you said it. It was the end of the day. Like, sure. Where, where were you at in terms of how, were you already worried about, you know, your family and your your pets and your relationships anyway? But what or yeah, there yeah, yeah. with you that that was so impactful then because I think the timing matters a whole lot. Were you off guard?
0: I mean that's a great question. I think this whole like period of my life has been a little bit off guard um, mm-hmm. because I mean we've we as me and my wife have been trying to support her parents uh, through a lot of health problems. Um, I am missing, I'm having to miss sessions. I'm, I'm, my caseload is dwindling because just event, you know, eventually I did sort of have to, I felt like ethically pulled to let people know, Hey, your meetings with me are tenuous uh, like, um, might have to cancel based on any emergency that happens in my life because it was happening so often and impacting people so much. Um, well impacting their, their, their scheduled sessions and me going, you know, I just, I can't discount how much impact I have on people's lives. Right. And so, well, I mean, and that
1: speaks to exactly what I'm talking about with the that flow of information.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: work so hard to to sort to really kind of pry people open and make them feel comfortable with just output, yeah, that I think it's pretty easy to brush aside us. We're not just a blank slate. We're not just anyone right. that they you know, we're not just a journal that you're writing your stuff down to. Like we're full humans too. And the layers of what you're experiencing show up in the room as well. Right. And so to say that you're having a general experience of being off guard and feeling, feeling forced beyond your comfort to disclose your own secrets, your own privacy, what may not be secret. It's not necessarily secret that you're going through stuff, but you have to open up your own private space in order to be what people need you to be. And it feels off. And that's too bad because I don't know that I don't know that I believe that should be so entirely foreign. We, we can't be the ones getting treatment. We can't be the ones that are the ones getting support. People don't pay us to support us. Right. But showing up and being a whole person, I think has a lot of value.
0: Yeah. That, well, I mean, for most of my career I've, I've been, in that spot or in that, under that belief that, you know, I should try to keep my things very separate from this process.
1: Right.
0: Um And I think it's, you know, around, I don't know, a couple of years ago when I started to, to question self-care in itself and to question like, why, why am I not getting what I need out of self-care? Yeah. It started this whole conversation of really how do I show up as a therapist and how do I make decisions as a therapist um, in the therapy room? Because everything I write, every choice I make, every, every emotion I try to reflect on, every statement that I make is a very, it's a purposeful choice because... I'm intentionally engaged in this process, and I'm the filter, right? Like, this is a very subjective kind of uh, experience. It's not like I'm not just a doctor setting a bone. i'm I'm a, a clinician trying to engage the the problem itself within these people's experiences and their minds to help them. Solve the problem themselves, and I mean that points even to my theoretical kind of approach anyway. And so, anyway, it really hit me that I had gone a really long time without questioning. You know, I've done all the all I've done all the study. I'm really curious person. I want to know more about people's lives. I want to know more about theory. I want to know how I can do my job really well. While all of that, while in the process of all of that, though, I didn't step back and say, Ben, who are you and what's your experience like? And why are you attaching and associating so strongly with the theories that you choose, Mm -hmm. with the things that you choose to do and say and conceptualize in, in therapy? And so I started to really question myself showing up and who am I? Like, uh, how do I impact this stuff? Because it's really important. And that led me down a whole rabbit trail of like, overall, I feel like I'm objectified by things and people. um, And I objectify myself often as well. Like, I see myself as a tool um, to help people. I see my uh, my purpose to is to help, while the passion. Mm-hmm. I think you said before, like we can't sustain a career on passion alone, mm-hmm. and it's a it's a a resource that gets burned um, at a high rate, right?
1: Absolutely, it's the direct. I mean, it's the direct line we are mainlining that stuff out <laughs> to other people.
0: Yeah. And so I started to, well, I think along with this whole self-care thing, cause I was getting burned out and felt really busy and the, the work wasn't as fulfilling as it used to be. And I was looking for change in all sort of the wrong areas. I want to say wrong areas. I would just say I was looking for change and I was looking for renewal.
1: Yeah, I mean I think you were grasping for what what was going to be the effective change but yeah. but we're also trying to change things in a way that isn't from the menu that we're used to choosing from. Right. I think we've picked we've we've each in our own ways because we're we're different in how we approach these kinds of things too, which I think is what makes it interesting for us to meet in the middle that I chose what seemed like it was going to fit for me from the menu, you chose what seemed like it was going to fit for you from the menu. Right. We kind of patched together some stuff that, that I don't know, it was sort of like putting a, a spare on our flat tire. Like we can kind of keep right. going, maybe not at the same pace, but we're drivable. Mm-hmm. And then right. eventually mm-hmm. all of that runs out too. So we tap this resource, we tap that resource, we tap that resource, and right. self-care still feels two-dimensional. Mm-hmm. And that, that yeah. tool like our, our humanness, our our personality is our strengths. Our our actual uniqueness goes by the wayside. And we flip the CBT, the cognitive behavioral therapy switch, turn it on and bring them in the door. And anybody can fix their thoughts. And I just,
0: right.
1: of course, that starts to feel empty. Because if I'm being the tool, like you said, trying to pry someone open and get all of their little secrets to pop out so that I can clean them up and organize them. right? Well, I'm missing a lot of the point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm missing a whole lot a whole point
0: well around this time this two years ago kind of thing um you know I'm I'm deep in my theories my advanced theories course for my PhD and I am rethinking a lot of the of of why do I do what I do like like, why have I chosen these theories? Why have I chosen to like, because I think the whole point of the class was all culminating into write your own theory. Um, because there's this point of, in in a textbook that was like, look, everyone's going to have their personal theory because they kind of saw it as like a social constructionist would of like, we are not going to like copy and paste from. We're not computers. We can't just copy and paste from a book to our actual experience. And so we're going to filter it through us and we're going to come up with our version of X, Y, or Z. And so, you know, I had patched together on my whole time of being a, th- a therapist, uh, attachment theory and emotional focus theory, and which is based on attachment Um, some CBT work and REBT work, um, which was influenced really heavily with addictions work that I did. Um, Then DBT became sort of the new thing that, you know, when I got the job at the mental health center, they were really on that and wanting to push that um, as well. And so that switched things up for me. And then I get into this, PhD course and I'm like, okay, time to rethink, time to deconstruct, and I get into a lot of existential stuff. It just resonates with me so deeply. And as you're talking about that tool thing, I, it's like Rollo May has a, he's an existential psychoanalyst, and he has that saying that's like, it goes, I don't, I can't say it specifically. Uh, or really <clears throat> accurately, but he says, you know, of course there's tools and skills that I use when I'm doing therapy, but the, like, first of all, I'm a human. And last of all, I'm a human. As soon as I, as certain, as soon as I start trying to use techniques to change someone, all I am is a twister of bolts. I'm not a human anymore. And I real, and that just like, like lightning bolt straight through me. Like, holy cow. Like, this is how I've oriented myself to my work. And it's not where I started. It's not Mm -hmm. where I started this because it was very human-centered, very like, I want to be a good force for people's lives, not just a mechanic, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, isn't that where... Oh, that's where I think most of us start. And I think that's, what's interesting about, I mean, it's, I don't know. It really resonates that I, I start as a human. I end as human because I think we are in this midstream of being relatively experienced professionals. Mm-hmm. We started out, we burst through the gates, super pumped. Like let's help people. I'm so humanist and positivistic mm-hmm. that, I mean, I can hug anyone and they'll get better. Right. <laughs> I don't hug, by the way. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't hug
0: anyway. <laughs> I don't hug either. The being, a, being a guy in this in this field has always been a little bit weird <laughs> because Fair. you know it's it's very. I mean, it's mostly women, and I'm totally fine with that. I'm actually I, I like that about this, but also like I've worked with all women. Um, I mean, as clients, like in 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 addictions, I work oh, yeah. all women's For, facility.
1: Female facility, and right? so,
0: you know, that was a very much a, a, a thing on my mind all the time of you got to keep things on the up and up. Boundaries are very important mm-hmm. here. But I also worked with kids as well. And so, you know, <laughs> just things can get really <laughs> twisted and weird. That's, so, that's you normal. know, I don't, you know, and also <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm I don't have kids. And so a lot of parents are always asking, like, do you have kids? And and so you get you get used to seeing these looks like, dude, you're a man and doing this work, which a man shouldn't usually do in the way that you do it, in the way that you do it um, with like emotion focus. Um, Like a man shouldn't do that, but also a man without kids definitely shouldn't be doing this. And what do you so mean, you get used not... to those wo- those, those looks. And so, well, and is
1: that, I mean, to, is that one of those things that you disclose? Do you let people know that you don't
0: have children? Um, oh. No, not, not at first. No. Uh, you know, and and I always kind of str- struggled for a while with that question mm-hmm. um, of how to answer it. While, you know, then I could just kind of at the, you know, within the, probably the last five years or so it's just been like, yeah, I'll answer that question straight up because I realized, you know, you can be a parent, you can be a parent. I guess it went through this, like my experience of understanding people's experiences, like I realized there's not, I mean, for, for maybe the people listening to us and, 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 um, and I know for you for sure, like, there are a a set of people who really know how to understand people's experiences Yes. without having to live it. Yep. And, but most people don't know how to do that. Right. And they're not interested.
1: I I mean, I think that a lot of people who can do that, do this. Yeah. Feel the pull to peek behind that curtain and go creepy crawling out of curiosity down the humanity tunnel. Yeah. (laughs) Never come back out. But no, I think you're about to say so many people don't and can't do that right. and are so far beyond it they can't necessarily even fathom that you can do that. Right. And I know that we all only have our own perspectives and everything I take in. Yeah. Because what I'll tell you is that I have children now and there are layers to my parentage that are assumed and are different i've said i'm not i'm not the bodily parent of my children and so i haven't been through labor and birth and women will assume that i have if i have children and so that's a conversation too right and the short version is that question feels like a trap no matter what and there are some questions it always is yeah that feel like a trap no matter what because they're just there's just so much behind them yeah yeah And And there's no way for us to show people that I can actually get myself into the shoes of your experience without Mm. having worn those before.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: Because it's just part, it's one of the, it's part of the juggling act that I'm doing. Right. And I think that's why the ball that we drop is, is us and who we are. Like uh, the first, the first ball while I'm trying to juggle all of the stuff that's happening in that room is me. Right. Like, oh, fuck me. I can't, I can't. I yeah. have to pay attention to all of this and I turn into a tool. And it's part of what I'm working on here.
0: It's kind of, it's kind of the, I mean, it's, it is somewhat of the sales pitch, right? Like, mm-hmm. we, we have to, in some ways, put ourselves aside because you're right. Huh? I mean, the first, the first reaction to that, that question for me is defensiveness. Mm-hmm. And so, while dealing with that, trying to, you know, the, the evolution of dealing with that question has me being better and better at dealing with that conflict and that defensiveness and f- like evolving it into more of a, a wisdom of going, Oh, what you're really asking me for or, or putting out there is, can you understand me? Yeah. And, you know, There are times I do that really, really well. And I would say that, you know, when I'm at my, I would say majority of time, I'm I'm doing that really well now. Um, While other times, you know, especially when I'm less, when I'm less prepared or I'm less experienced, I am having this like clench in my stomach and this anger in my chest Mm -hmm. of how, fuck you. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it, because I'm not, Yeah, because I mean, I,
1: that can get,
0: and that's where I feel like I'm, you know, that defensiveness for me is like, you're telling me I don't belong here. And so, you know, I think there's times where there's, and this is, this is part of, part of being the secret keeper uh, is, is us dealing with like, how are we, processing being a therapist and being human at the same time because we are we are those people (laughs) in the tunnels of human experience we're deep down in those tunnels and we also therefore have to kind of excavate and explore our own tunnels and so because I think we are pretty talented compared to the general population at doing that ourselves. Um, You know, because I have to make sense to, to to be congruent with my values. I have to make sense of my defensiveness and my anger. And so, you know, there's the journaling and there's the, you know, talk to myself. And I'm, I think I've shared this before with you, but I do do therapy for myself with myself. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> where, yeah. Wow,
0: where yeah. I talk to myself as a client, and then I respond yeah. as a therapist, and <laughs> yes. you know, it's it's kind of quirky and fun.
1: Well, and I have to do that intentionally; otherwise, <laughs> I'll talk to myself like an asshole.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. First, sure. I have to
1: get myself in that yeah. space of. Yeah, I have to approach myself with non <laughs> non non-jud- judgmental, loving kindness. Yes, yes. Instead of saying "What you doing, bitch?" Right? What's happening?
0: Right? Why are you stupid? Right. Why are you getting? So, yeah, so...
1: in that very yeah. real way, I've got to practice my own skills.
0: And so, we we do this. We do this for ourselves, and I suspect a lot of people, a lot of therapists, do this for themselves. Um, and we're quite good at at exploring and cleaning up, or at least understanding the tunnels of our our own experience so that we can do our jobs well because like we've said we get into this work for a greater purpose and so i think that that's also part of this whole like um question of being a secret keeper is yeah. i i hold on to things that my loved ones and other people just don't understand. It's not that they don't want to. It's not that they, it's just that I've seen the matrix in a way. Yeah. And, and oh, they don't. That's a
1: whole other conversation too. And
0: they don't see it. And so, you know, I had, I even had a conversation over, and this is sort of, this isn't the story that I was going to tell, but this is similar to like, we have, a family thing going on with my niece and it's this secret <laughs> and I understand it. I know how it's come about. I know like there's a very much a non-judgmental thing and also a desire for me to protect her because mm-hmm. it's so unique and it's, 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 yeah, it's just something that I want to protect her with. And so we, we kind of go back and forth and, and basically in all this conversation, my wife asks me, can you just take off your professional hat? I don't want to be talked to like you're a professional. I want you to be my husband. And I, I, you know, I'm like, yes, absolutely. I'm sorry. Like I acknowledge that I have done that. And then also I'm thinking in that moment, what does it look like for you, for me to not have that on? Mm -hmm. Because, because I can take off the, the tone of my voice of like educating. Like I can take that down and I can turn that off. While also my point of view doesn't change as Ben of, I want to protect her. I want to fight for her. I want people to understand her and we have a culture in our family of being c- very committed to not seeing mm-hmm. the things that, that are underneath mm-hmm. and blindness. and yeah. uh, you know that's not that's a criticism for sure but it's not a i'm not trying to hurt anyone by saying that like i'm very committed to the very opposite thing
1: yeah
0: and so mm-hmm. i want people but that's the see.
1: culture of a lot of families.
0: Absolutely. And I think honestly, it's the it's the culture of our profession. Mm-hmm. Like we are all ironically committed to seeing and 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 validating and providing safe spaces for lots of secrets, except for our own, yeah. particularly with one another, and particularly in agencies. And so there's a lot of guilt and shame uh, and and all of that surrounding it. And Mm -hmm. that enhances this thing of like, you have to take care of yourself. You have to take care of yourself. We won't, and I'm not, I don't want to advocate that I think that I deserve or therapists deserve to be taken care of. Uh, because we're just amazing and what we do is awesome and we should be praised and honored and given like hammocks and hammocks and and people you know feeding us grapes. I don't think that that's that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying though is that our cultures could be a lot more centered around nurturing and caring and seeing the difficulty of our job and the nuance of our job. Um, where we're given few tools and few, few resources, and we're told, oh, you need a specific tool? not nah, just use a hammer. <laughs> right. Like, right. We got a whole box uh, of hammers. <laughs> we ordered a lot of hammers to use, be used for this job, and we're not wasting money on ordering another tool. Nope, we'll figure out how to use so, a hammer
1: for whatever your project you is. Know,
0: Particularly I'm thinking of the box of assessments that we were supposed to use <laughs> Yeah, oh. or the box of those carbon copied forms that we're supposed to use. Um, so no
1: more carbon copies. Can I
0: just, <laughs> so, so.
1: <laughs> carbon is done. It's over. It's over. I don't even have the right pen. My handwriting yeah. does not have the pressure involved. It's not yeah. cute
0: how does secret keeping inform our experiences i think we're talking here about like it's not just about the secrets we we intentionally um want to make space for in the therapy room and it's not the content that's disclosed no as much as it that, is sometimes that matters for sometimes. sure and and i've got a definite story about that but it's more about like and it's not even like the us holding a container and having to lug around all the secrets all the time but i think you said it earlier of it's about the processing or the the not the processing but the direction of the information like we have to we usually have to put a lot of energy into deciding what information goes where and how can I as a person be genuine with you um, while still trying to filter that information. That's a really difficult skill and one that I don't care what kind of self-care training you give me, unless you're invested in my life, you will not teach me how to do that skill because I've already figured out a balance that seems to work for me, at least limit the damage. Sure. And so you can't give me a two-dimensional, uh, you can't give me a two-dimensional um, solution for this problem that has many dimensions.
1: Well, yeah, because there's just, there's no accounting for the, the, the personal impact and the, the toll of time. Because we're not talking about this one time that someone disclosed. I mean, we can talk about this this one secret that you held on to, that you describe as somewhat mundane, but I think is there's a reason that it's so impactful to you. And mm-hmm. that's a great reason. It's a great example. Because I could hear that same story and it wouldn't carry over into my dinner time. Right. Or I can say that it wouldn't. Maybe it would on a certain day. I don't know. But for you, what you experienced, how you absorbed that, What, where it fit in your container and what you could, should, would do with it beyond that and what you could, would, should do with yourself, what you needed if you could do Mm -hmm. anything. Like all of that is unique to you. And the fact of the matter is we have those experiences day by day by day. And so we absorb and we absorb and we absorb. And a lot of the secrets that we're absorbing are- Hour by hour, Right. Right. And a lot of those secrets that we're absorbing are incredibly dark. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have time for this part of the conversation today, but I think it, it has to be said that we also carry around the awareness of the, the darkness in the world. Yeah. And the way that it makes us all, not all of us. I think a lot of us translate that into a lot of vigilance. I worry about my children. In different ways. My kids don't go to sobers. My kids have a lot of talks about body parts really mm-hmm. early. My kid like my perspective on the world is surrounded by so much darkness that I don't know if that's healthy, but it just is. And yeah. so it's also something that I'm constantly regulating. Right. I can't explain it to my spouse or to my parents or to the babysitter. I can't explain it.
0: Right. That's the part of the secret keeping is there is part of this that just needs to be communicated in body language and in uh, a deeper understanding than just words can convey right yeah and that's where like it's it's not the words themselves but it's the meaning behind the words and that's I mean we all know that as therapists uh, and i I, I want to be mindful that i'm I'm not saying that you just have to live it to understand it, but the people who are are in to, attuned to understand, those are the people who will understand it. And I don't see a, any bigger untapped resource for our own self-care than our community of of therapists where we Absolutely. could understand each other so much. And, and it's, it's sort of a I feel like it's, you know, a lot of people do have like consultation groups and, you know, they go out for drinks and things like that, but there's not something that's like, we all get together and we talk about what's going on in our lives about specifically about the burden of therapy and um, right. the responsibility that we take. And it's not a complaint session, right? It's like we all have this, or all have experienced this sense of loving responsibility for this work. And- Well, yeah, because
1: it's a burden and it's a joy yeah. and all of that is wrapped in right. secret. We don't share that. I mean, there are incredibly celebratory secrets that I also don't Right. Have share. I have high highs that are just- <laughs>
0: Mine, I guess. Which means, which means, it just brings me back to that saying. I haven't used it as often as I used to, but I think it's a Swedish proverb. I might be wrong with that; people can correct me. But um, learned it from my the head of my doctor, no, the head of my master's program. Uh, joy shared is double joy. Sorrow shared is half sorrow, right? I learned that one from you. And in times of celebration, you know, if we're not able to share that, then it's less joy than, you know, we could experience. And in times of, of sorrow or pain, you know, the more we have that we don't share, it just gets kind of reduced down to even like a... I think of even just like this idea of it gets reduced down to like a thick gel. <laughs> like, we just put it under more pressure yeah. and heat and it just reduces down.
1: Yeah, like, isn't that supposed to turn it into a diamond?
0: Like sugar in a pan. Just
1: goo. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like a thick glob. And
1: well, and I mean, going through this whole conversation even just with with secrets in general and with the specific one that you've shared so far i don't know was there anything you would do or want or need differently like what did you need then that you didn't have um
0: because i do think it's absolutely reciprocal i think there needs to be changes in all places um Um, what we put out there, we're going to get back and what, you know, we're going to soak in whatever we're around. So, um, so first off for me and myself, um, the transition from, and I think you were mentioning this, like the more, uh, you were mentioning my physical workspace has changed and that's been, you know, primarily COVID-19 is I'm working from home now. And so the travel from work to home is much shorter than, you know, (laughs) than it used to be. And so. I think
1: because of that, I mean, I think that's a great point to make with all of us um, realizing how isolated we felt. I don't think that we're more necessarily more isolated than we already were. I think that the symptom is, is a lot more glaring now.
0: Right. Right, just like everything else, yeah. Super fucking lonely. COVID nineteen has shone a light on all the problems in the world,
1: all the holes in the patchwork.
0: Um, and so I think, I think for that specifically, for myself, I could take, like, take some time and realize, like, the emotional intensity. Um, not to believe the thoughts i have but to maybe like journal them out and then come back to them and ask myself oh, how cool. important how important they are um and that to- i think that depends too on how wise i am able to be in that moment mm-hmm. um and so i think maybe like setting up more of a more of a routine because i have a routine I just need kind of maybe give myself a little bit more time do something a little bit more um ritual a ritual to kind of ramp myself down um and yeah, then revisit I mean, these it thoughts it sounds
1: like it sounds like you felt like that time of day was particularly vulnerable
0: yeah it was like the the last of um four sessions and yeah. so and so it was a good four hours of, of therapy. And so it was exhausting itself, just physically exhausting, mentally exhausting, um, to just do the work. Like, I mean, it's not, not like too much, just tired was, was, is the word there. But I think, so I think that's where it's more like I need something to do rather than to think or problem solve. You know, Yeah, I think it sounds of, like
1: you feel like that, like kind of that need to wind down your stress cycle.
0: Right, right. right. Acknowledge the emotion, let the emotion work itself through, um, not try to problem solve to get over it, but to work through it. Um, well, and this
1: was directly tapping some of your relationships. I mean, that was clearly right. part of the bubble. And I don't know if you always acknowledge your, your pets as part of your relationship circle when we've talked about it.
0: No. And I don't, I don't know think if you, I you don't talk realize
1: how much you rely on the boys while you're under the stress that you've been under too with family.
0: No. I mean, they are, they are firmly planted in my routine. Um, and in my relationships, um, like they are two people that, uh, and I use the word people, um, that, that I rely on. And I think, um, yeah, I don't talk about it all that often because there are some people just who aren't, I don't want to hear people's flack. My dogs are my people. Right, your dogs that are is your the,
1: people. Your dogs that are your is babies. My, that is you the are, point. yeah. That is the, the point, point of everything that we're doing. Is that whatever your cluster of shit is, is just yours. It's not mine. Yeah, I don't give a fuck <laughs> who you personify. If that fucking plant behind you is your best friend, good. I'm glad you have a friend. <laughs> we need friends. That's Which why is we don't leave our house.
0: A unique thing about you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, it's also why I treat the people I treat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't give a fuck. Stand on your head. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Happy is happy.
0: Yeah, don't you're right. Anybody. I don't I don't necessarily I don't usually use uh, like see them as as a resource um mm-hmm. for ramping down my stress cycle or even um talk about them in my kind of resource group uh, or or family support group. Um I mean, people might have shit to say about it, but
1: there's real science there. I would imagine that that got your blood pressure up. And don't we have like super data about how animals are amazing for bringing mm-hmm. down our stress and blood pressure? Right, right. I think of the Na- the Nagoski sisters. There's stuff about burnout and the stress cycle. That's
0: I know the I know the book that you're talking about. I haven't gotten through enough of it to know how much they've talked about to talk about. Um, but they, I mean. I've got tons of suggestions on it. And that's the thing too, right? Is like, is at the end of that session and at the end of that block of hours of doing therapy, I did not turn toward myself as a human. I turned toward myself. I turned away from that exhaustion, pain, pain, High, high, you know, heightened heart rate. Um, I turned away from that and said, okay, next, what's the next thing, right? Um, I may have closed my eyes for a minute in my chair and then got up and went downstairs to the next, the next thing. And that's the pause that I need. I need to take a pause. I need to turn toward myself. And to treat myself as a valuable person, not as just another thing to get done. Um, and it doesn't—I don't think that it matters really what I fill in that space if I'm doing it in a way to honor myself and turn toward that pain and know the pain, the anxiety, the tiredness, whatever it might be—to turn toward it and say. Hi, I'm here for you. I care about you. Let's do something to ramp this down in my relationships, I think I could communicate more of the and this is again the more long-term conversation of I need some help turning to have a safe place to 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 be seen right um, to be seen I am still burdened with that that choice of how much do I share and is it Authentic enough, but I also need a safe place to put that. That's for me, it's like, yes, attend my therapy sessions, which I have been doing over the last year uh, or more, actually. Um, while also, you know, talking with you about stuff is also always really helpful. Um, in my environment, I think maybe setting up some rituals of of where do I put my phone uh can I put my phone to rest can I put it to bed so that I'm not on it and distracting myself when I actually need to be honoring myself um culturally I think I think just advocating for more humanization and less objectification um and doing something I guess like this work
1: um just rebalancing us
0: yeah, which, doing this work like which is
1: complicated and not easy. Like that's an
0: oversimplification.
1: But we lose, we lose balance so badly over time.
0: Yeah, we because, build so much, yeah.
1: we dump so much. It's mm-hmm. it's really like we just hop on a boat with a hole in it. We're constantly bailing out. We're constantly <laughs> making sure we we stay afloat. Yeah, but then we don't have time to navigate. And so right. I just like. having a pause Mm -hmm. (laughs) and making the most out of small pieces of time, I think is a really practical part of it. I I think that our connections with our peers is one I do. I think you're right that that's one of the biggest untapped Mm -hmm. resources or that we just haven't tapped it as effectively as we could.
0: Yeah. And I even think like, it's, it's like, even like the advocacy part that I'm talking about and doing this work itself is Mm -hmm. to that. To advocate for a cultural change in our profession. Yeah. Um, where we are supportive of one another, that we, you know, turn toward each other as human beings and not just as therapy robots. Right. Um,
1: well, yeah, and when we turn toward each other, it's not to say, hey, are you taking new
0: clients? Or, hey. Which um, I did ask you, you like two days ago. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you did. <laughs> Um I'm allowed to ask like once a month.
1: Because <laughs> I happen well, to think
0: you're the best. <laughs> well. <laughs> See, it's 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 not so the So I question. do use you as a tool. <laughs> it's not the question, right? It's not the question. No, it's I the don't. intention behind it. And it's do I I mean, are you only using me as a tool? Like it's not the it's it's not the trait, it's the exclusivity of the trait. That's
1: I a see problem.
0: You and I use you. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's the piece. Like we turn to, we turn toward each other for re- referrals and resources. Sure. And that's, that's the primary goal because obviously that's the work we do. That's what's on our mind all the time. But the harder work is to turn toward ourselves like we're a human being and honor ourselves. And also offer that to each other. And that's the advocacy piece that I think in our culture as a profession needs to change. And that's that's a deep that's deep work. And I think that uh, that's part of my mission here.
1: It's worth digging for, and I don't think I think that Covid has been a spotlight on all of these holes in how all of our systems are working, really. Mm -hmm. And if we see the light, that is also creating opportunity. And if we ignore it and continue trying to just go through the motions of doing work the way that we're used to doing it, clearly that's just not going to work going forward. We don't have a choice but to adapt at this point. And so let's adapt in a direction that actually serves us more.
0: want to remind you that it's always appropriate to reach out for help this podcast is for social connection and support but it's not your treatment and we want you to be able to get access to that so please visit our show notes or some resources to help you find a place to go if you are needing some help you can reach out to us to share your story and to talk to us about what you're hearing that is at being the work on Instagram, or you can email us at being the work at gmail.com. Join the conversation. Let's get connected in doing and being the work.